Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the pulpit of Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. This week, Pastor Justin concludes his Christmas in the Psalms series by looking at Psalm 86. He reminds us that the exclusivity of our faith in Jesus can cause others to turn against us, much like the crowds turned against Jesus while he was here, but that God provides us with the strength and comfort we need to carry on and complete our assigned task of sharing the good news. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 86, Psalm 86, as we continue our series of A Christmas Through the Psalms. This is going to sound a little bit odd. You're going to have to really hang on as we read this. You're going to go, what does this have to do with Christmas? But you know, you know me, I get around to it sooner or later. So uh, let's, let's hear God's word proclaimed to us where we're at today. Psalm 86. I'll read uh, the first seven or eight or so verses. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to, do, to you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, shall glorify your name. For you are great, you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see me and may be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and have comforted me. May God bless this reading of his word today. So we... Of course, our on Christmas Day, this is one of those every seven years or where we get to have Christmas morning on the Lord's Day. And it's a truly interesting time. It's my first time as pastor doing a worship service on the Lord's Day. Not quite what I had anticipated, but that's okay. And of course, when we're on Christmas Day, what do we think about? Who is the one person we think about more than anybody else? It's Abraham Lincoln, right? Yeah. We think about Honest Abe. Well, actually, we probably don't. But if you think about Abraham Lincoln, what do you think about? That he's on money and that he's, got, he's uh, the great emancipator, that he's a man with an amazing legacy that we still think about, talk about, quote, today. But one of the things about Lincoln that we perhaps don't understand or don't remember is that in his day, he was easily one of the most hated politicians who had ever existed, one of the most hated presidents who was ever elected to office. Um, I'm not just talking about the South during the Civil War, by the way. The North 
didn't really like him that much. In fact, when he was elected, the week he was elected, in his hometown of Illinois, a newspaper published the following article. This is just a little bit of it. But listen to what they said about Abraham Lincoln. They said, People now marvel how it came to pass that Mr. Lincoln should have been selected as representative of any party. His weak, wishy-washy, namby-pamby efforts, imbecile in matter, disgusting in manner, have made us the laughingstock of the world. I was kind of curious. I read this article and I thought, why did people hate Abraham Lincoln even before the Civil War had started? And there were a lot of reasons for that. It's not that simple. Uh, part of it was people weren't happy that he threw in his lot with the abolitionists uh, against slavery. Some people weren't happy uh, that he aligned himself with the Union preservationists or certain economic views that they didn't agree with. But one thing Abraham Lincoln realized very quickly was that when he threw in his lot with one side, the other side would hate him with a passion. And I think that's probably the, uh, the fact of any politician. You can't pick a side without having the other side hate you. It was a very hard presidency for Abraham Lincoln. In fact, later on, Lincoln said, I've been driven to my knees so many times by the overwhelming conviction that I had absolutely no place elsewhere to go. Isn't that true with us too? I mean, if we want to be hated more than Abraham Lincoln, it's actually pretty easy. We have to throw in our lot, our side, with Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, suddenly the other side, the entire world, will hate you, will find themselves against you. You can boast of salvation by grace, you, atonement by his mercy, that there's only one way to heaven. You boldly share your faith with others. And what do you get in return? You get hatred and oppression, mockery, derision. Please don't talk about that ism, whatever it needs to be. I think King, King David would really relate with President Lincoln and with those who side on the side of Christ. Because in his day, he was God's loyal servant from his childhood. We see a, a, a guy and a king who never wavered from his faith in Jesus and his faith, well, his faith in the Messiah, right? His faith in God. Even though all of this faith, all of this devotion brought him, brought him countless years of misery and oppression. We read in the scriptures about how armies turned against him. His own country tried to kick David out of power. His son tried to kill him. And all throughout his entire life, he had to endure slander and exile and even assassination attempts. But through all this, David didn't live to appease the world. He lived for God first and foremost, and the world kind of hated him for it. When we read about this in this psalm, in Psalm 86, in verse 14, it's a verse that really caught my attention. Where David says, a band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. He's experiencing how the world makes God's own people feel unwelcome. That there's this group against him, and this group do not follow God. They don't elevate God above all things. I think David would have been nodding in earnest if he had been around in Jesus' time. When Jesus was preaching and he said to his own disciples, he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it's hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you are not of the world. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
The reality of the world's hostility against Christians makes me kind of think of these bumper stickers I see every now and then, these coexist bumper stickers. Have you seen those on the back of cars? I kind of look at these, and I've done a little bit of research into what they mean, but I've, I've never really known what to make of them, why people put them on the back of their car. I've come up with two theories. One is that for some people, this coexist bumper sticker with all the different religious symbols are merely a, a statement of saying that even though we have all these different religions and viewpoints in the world, we need to coexist peacefully. I can get behind that. I guess that's that's okay. That doesn't really go against what I believe. But I think on another level, I see some of these bumper stickers and I sometimes think this is a person's way of saying all religions are basically equal. That we should never elevate one above the rest. That there are no one way to heaven, but there's many ways or no ways. And I have a problem with that because I'm not willing to compromise on the truth of Christ. And I trust that you aren't either. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, he says, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's one of our mission statements. We're ambassadors of Christ. Christ doesn't want us charging into the world looking for a fight, right? When, when he was being arrested and Peter drew out that sword and chopped off the ear from that servant, Jesus was like, no, no, this is not how we're doing things. If at all possible, live in peace with other people. As ambassadors of Christ, we need to do that. We need to practice peaceful and gracious living, even when we, like King David, like Jesus himself, like Abraham Lincoln, come under fire. But that doesn't mean we need to be doormats, does it? doesn't mean we need to compromise our faith. We need to hold back from saying things that other people might find offensive. Even Paul knew in that statement that I just read that it isn't always possible to coexist without conflict. And neither did he nor David flinch from standing up for God when others yelled at them to sit down. When nobody, nobody really likes to be hated. I understand that. I, man, when somebody hates you, it's just the worst feeling. But I think there's great encouragement here in these verses from the Bible because Christ tells us if the world hates you because you're standing up for Jesus, you're sharing your faith and your testimony, you're probably doing something right. Just don't need to go be picking fights about it. Yeah, when you're feeling the strain of the world that's against you because of your love for Christ, what do you do? Back in junior high and high school, I was pretty intensely bullied. I had a hard time uh, during those years. And I developed a lot of anger issues. I know you think of me as a raging anger machine right these days. I had a lot of anger issues as a teenager. I didn't know how to handle those that anger that arose from these situations in my life. So my parents enrolled me in Taekwondo. What do you do with an angry kid? You train them to be a lethal weapon, right? You train them in Taekwondo. Actually, it was for a purpose because what Taekwondo and other martial arts teach you is really control over your body. You have to have supreme control over your body to be able to pull off all the different moves and forms and stuff like that. And it had the side effect that every time I was wailing away on punching bags and breaking boards, I would probably imagine the faces of my bullies, you know, punching right through that board. I was kind of hoping that one day when I got to be a black belt, one of those bullies would come up to me and, and get in my face and I would wipe the floor with them, but never happened. 
Well, how does David handle his own bullies? Because he's talking about in Psalm 86 that he has bullies. This band of ruthless men that are against him. This band of ruthless men that they don't worship Jesus. They don't worship Christ. They don't worship the Lord, the Messiah. So what does he do? How does he handle his bullies? Well, I can tell you what he didn't do. He didn't ask God. He has, you know, Of course, God is listening very intently to the prayers of David. And he does not ask God to smite his enemies, to wipe the floor with his enemies, to kill them and come down and send maybe some fire and brimstone down and maybe a giant meteor and just flatten these ruthless men that are against him. Instead, David handles this moment of being bullied by looking back at one of his personal heroes. It's kind of interesting. We look at back at David as one of our heroes. Who did David think of his hero? I can tell you that it's Moses. David looked at Moses as one of his heroes because in verse 15 of this psalm he quotes Exodus chapter 34. He quotes Moses when he says, but you O Lord are a God merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. By the way, I just want to pause right there and look at that little phrase probably would have really quickly gone by. In this verse, David is giving honor to his mother because his mother was a woman of faith. The son of your maidservant, he says, that his mother taught him a lot about his own faith. And he, he got that God worked through his mother for David's faith. But we also see that in this great time of need, David doesn't ask for his enemies to die. What he wants way more than that is to find rest in the mercy, grace, and love of his Lord. It's in this spiritual refuge that he finds the strength to continue and the hope of future salvation. I think that's such a witness, such an example for us. Next time somebody gets in our face, they slight us, they slander us, they work against us, especially if we stand up for Christ. We don't have an impulse to, to get back, to get some revenge going on. But rather, we should have this impulse to seek out God in our life even more intensely than before. To once again acknowledge that when we've offended God, he wasn't quick to bring against his anger against us. But he held that back to show us mercy instead. How does that change our attitude when we look at God who is slow to anger? and We go, maybe I should be slow to anger as well. Of course, sometimes a situation comes up when it's so bad, it's so dire that we worry God isn't going to back us up. Maybe we need comfort that the Almighty is right there with us. We may do what David does here in verse 17, which is to ask for a sign of God's favor. Some visible physical proof that God loves you and God is there for you in your life. You want to ask for a sign. Have you ever done this? I know when I was younger, I, I used to do that all the time. God, I don't know what to do. Give me a sign. Or God, I, I'm feeling really bad. Give me a sign that you love me. I think we have to be very careful when we have that impulse to ask God for a sign because there are a few reasons why it can be actually a problem. First, it can be a sign of weak faith. That your faith is so weak you aren't relying and trusting upon the promises of God, but rather you're so shaky, you need God to constantly be there to assure you through a series of signs. I think a great example of this would be to look back at Gideon. When God called Gideon to be a judge, he promised that Gideon, I'll go with you, I'll be with you. 
And Gideon said, well, I'll only believe you if you show me a sign. And then another sign. And then another sign. We see that Gideon had kind of a pretty weak faith. And that can be the case of people who ask for signs. Second, there is a temptation to make signs rather than scripture the guiding authority in our lives. People who are overly eager for signs kind of tend to neglect the reading and study of scripture for guidance in their lives. Third, we may ask for a sign for selfish or even sinful reasons, like the Pharisees did in Matthew 12, when they're goading Jesus, saying, Jesus, show us a sign, show us a miracle. Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. But finally, the reason we probably shouldn't be asking for signs these days is that we're overlooking the signs God's already provided to us. He doesn't need to provide you a sign that he exists because Romans 1 tells us that God has provided that sign in the creation of the world. You can look around in all of nature and see that there is a designer, there is a creator who has made and sustained all things. He doesn't need to whip up signs that he's working through our faith today because we're told that we see those visible signs through the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We'd see these signs and seals of the covenant of grace. And finally, God doesn't need to provide a sign that he's there for you because he already provided that on Christmas morning. See, I told you I'd get back around to that. We can examine that sign in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, where it said, And the angel said to them, Fear not! For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be with all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds, all of God's people, if they ever wanted a definitive proof that God loves them, that God cares for their own, they got that in that squealing little package of a baby on Christmas morning. It was to all of us a sign of humility, a birth of the gospel of God with us now and always. So today, look upon this sign. Realize that this sign was given not to just the shepherds, but was given to you. God remembered you. He remembered his loving mercy to you. As he was slow to anger, he was fast to bring that mercy to your life. He knew that you would need to be assured that if you cast your lot in with Jesus and the world hated you for it, Jesus would be there. He would be your Emmanuel, your God with you. You need something more than a sign in your life. You need a Savior. But God in his gracious loving provision provided you both a sign and a Savior. So let's praise him for that today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at Psalm 86, Luke 2, and so many other verses of the Bible, we see a God who cares for us so much that he is there for us. He has provided a sign. Let us believe in that sign this morning as we get together with our family, as we worship you in our homes this morning. May you be our sign and our Savior now and forever. Lord, be with those again who need you, especially this morning. Maybe those who are also feeling some oppression uh, because they're sharing their faith to a family that doesn't believe. Give them their faith. Give them the, the back them up. Give them the words to say. And Lord, be with all of us. We are your people. You are our God. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. To reach out to Pastor Justin, 
or to request prayer, send an email to pastor at noxepc.com or write to him at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m., either in person or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash noxepc. Visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at noxepc.